So let's pray together. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, God, I, I thank you again for your love and your mercy. God, we have no other hope that unless we can say, I am his and he is mine, that, that Christ is ours and we are Christ's. There's nothing else on this earth that we could possess that could give us hope or security, but that Christ is ours. And we are wholly belonging to Christ. We thank you for that. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for your spirit, for your word, and for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, in, in Jerusalem, in Israel... Oh, if, you, if anyone needs a Bible, throw your hand up. Mr. Doug will come around with the Bible. In Jerusalem, there is a, a tourist path called the Via Dolorosa. The Via Dolorosa in Jerusalem. This is a path that you could, we could, if we all were to hop on a Boeing 747, head over there together. We could walk what we believe is the path that Jesus took to get from when he had the cross placed on his back to his execution spot. This is Via Dolorosa means the sorrowful road. Dolor, pain, this is the home made criminals because you weren't Normally, you weren't crucified unless you were a criminal. Jesus was not the only person to be crucified. The Roman Empire, it was a favored method of execution for them. And what they would do is to add more shame to the crime of the person and to deter anyone else from committing crimes or committing treason against the empire, they would make the criminal carry the beam for the cross down the path and to the place where they, they were to be staked to the cross and lifted up. That was adding to the shame. So Jesus took this road where he had to put it on his back and carry it to Golgotha, the place that he was executed. And that was their normal practice. Criminals, you'd put it on your back, and this was their death march. That's where we get our, our title for this series, that Jesus told his disciples, which if you believe in him, you are also his disciple. Jesus told his disciples, follow me. Deny yourself, pick up your cross. When he told his disciples, pick up your cross, deny yourself and follow me, he told them that this self-denial was just like you're on your way to your death. Because it's a, it's a dying daily to yourself. But it's going to be this long journey that you will take with him that will be somewhat sorrowful. Now, there, there will be joy. There will be gladness. And here's the, 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 the twist of Christianity is that in denying ourselves, we find real happiness. But Jesus is calling us on our own Via Dolorosa, to follow after him. And that's, that's our theme throughout 
this time of Lent until we get to the celebration of Easter, following him on the Dolorosa, following him on his way to the cross and carrying the cross with him. Now, before we say anything more, here's the good news. Jesus calls us all to carry our cross. Jesus never calls us to do anything that he has not first done. So if Jesus calls you to carry your cross, it's because he's already done it. He's already walked that road before you so you know you can go too. He, it, it's done. When Jesus tells us to crucify the flesh, carry our cross, it's done. He's already done it. So you're following in his footsteps. Biblically, we're also following somewhat of a larger Via Dolorosa. We're not, we're not starting in Scripture at Jesus' trial and where they actually put the cross on his back. But Pastor Wayne did start us last week. He was in Matthew chapter 16. And that's the first place in the book of Matthew where it says Jesus began to teach that he must suffer, be killed, and rise again. And we know that it didn't go over so well with Peter, because Peter's thinking that the kingdom of God would be this power and authority on earth, that they would usurp the Roman Empire, they would knock out all these Roman soldiers that had been crucifying their people, and they would have this power, this earthly power now. Now there will be earthly power. Jesus will come and sit on the throne of David and will rule all of the nations and there will be perfect peace and justice and righteousness. And every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. Consummated, we're still now waiting on earth, was not yet fully consummated. We're still now waiting between the already and the not yet. But Peter and the disciples thought, well, how can you die if we're supposed to overthrow the religious leaders and the political leaders. Because that was supposed to mean power for me, is what they thought. But Jesus tells them that his kingdom doesn't look like overthrowing and killing the emperor. It looks like being killed. And what we know is that Jesus saying that he had to suffer and die and rise again, as Pastor Wayne taught us last week, it was good. Because that suffering and dying was for all of our sins. So that when we don't do perfectly what I'm going to talk about today, Jesus took our sin. When we don't carry our cross perfectly, Jesus took your sin. When we fail and we falter and we stumble and we mess up, Jesus took all of our sins. But because he did, he now also calls us, follow me. I sacrificed, I was selfless, I served. You've experienced that, you found forgiveness in that, now come and do the same. This morning we will be in Matthew chapter 18. If you're not there already, flip with me to Matthew chapter 18. Starting in verse 1. We're going to continue this journey, so Jesus is now... Biblically facing towards the cross. This idea of journey is all over the Bible. The biblical idea of journey, of walking with the Lord. Psalm 1-1 says, Blessed is the man who 
walks, not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Psalm 119.105, to continue the, this journey language, says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Deuteronomy 8.6 says, Observe the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways. Galatians 5.16 says, So I say walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 1 John 2.6 says, The one who says he resides in God ought himself to walk just as Jesus walked. So it's this, this all over scripture, it's this, this imagery of journeying with God. Though we're not actually Walking miles and miles, the, the way that we live our lives, what happens in our hearts, in our minds, it's a, it's a, it is a journey. It's a journey with him. And we're going to continue this journey with him, pointing ourselves towards the cross. Before we dive into Matthew chapter 18, I want to have a quick English lesson. There are different figures of speech that we would use. One of them is metaphor. Does anyone know what a metaphor is? What's a metaphor? That's when something is um, taking the place of something else. Um, when, when you compare walking to, well, let's just, when you compare walking to um, living. A way of life. Yeah, that was a metaphor. Absolutely. A metaphor is making a comparison. Life is a highway. Or if you want to go with Rascal Flats, or I'm not going to sing it, trust me. That's why I'm the preacher, not the singer. Life is a roller coaster. It's raining cats and dogs. There's also hyperbole. It's another figure of speech. Hyperbole is to make a point using exaggeration. It's a million degrees out. Well, not today. It's colder than Alaska. It's colder than Antarctica. It's, it, is, it does feel true, but it's using an exaggeration. Or our seven-year-old, Jack's one of his is, oh, that's going to take a million years. It's, it's hyperbole. It's using exaggeration to make a point. Jesus... Today, we're going to be talking about, believe it or not, never thought you would hear this in a row, children, execution, and amputation. That's what we're, that's what we're going to talk about. And I want, you, I want all of those for you. Hyperbole. <laughs> we'll be using some hyperbole and metaphor that Jesus uses. Okay, chapter 18, verse 1. At that time... The disciples came to Jesus and asked, So who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They're, they want to know, okay, after Jesus, obviously, who's going to be the one with the authority? Who's going to be the VP? Who's going to be the viceroy? Who, who will be the next in charge after Jesus? Now, many maybe would expect that Peter would say, 
or that Jesus would say, hey, Peter, come on over. You want to know the greatest in the kingdom? It's Peter. I'm sure every single disciple would say, please say John, please say John, please say Andrew. But what does Jesus do? It says that Jesus called a child and had him stand among them. Truly I tell you, he said, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. They asked who's the greatest. He's saying, unless you become children, you won't even get in. You want to know what the greatest? It's like a child. Now, is Jesus telling of youth that we must go find the fountain of youth? We're going to go on a journey with Ponce de Leon, find the fountain of youth, and become like children again. There, there have been days where I have wanted, and I'm sure we've all been there, if we could just be a kid again, we wouldn't have to go to work. There'd be nobody else to take care of. People would only be taking care of us, and there'd be no responsibilities. Not what Jesus is offering, and not what Jesus is calling us to enter to. He says, you must become like children. Unless you become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This reminds us of John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, Jesus is met with a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. And Nicodemus specifically comes to Jesus at night. Wasn't, it wasn't very hip and cool and trendy to meet with Jesus at this time. Surely the crowds gathered around him for his healing, but to be a religious leader, they had already been determining in their hearts that they were going to kill him. Jesus had authority different than them. Jesus was listened to different than they were, and they could not stand sharing that. So Nicodemus, we could call him Nick at night, he <laughs> visits with Jesus, and he says, Jesus, we, we know that th there's something about you. If you read chapter 3, John chapter 3, we know you must be from God because of the works that you do. But we can't figure it out. And without Jesus really even explaining who he is, he says, John, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven. No one can see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. And John is puzzled, and John says, can an old man once again return to his mother's womb? When you say born again, are you saying we have to like go back and, and come out again and be born again? And then Jesus gets really plain. He says in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe will not perish, but have everlasting presence. Entering the kingdom is entering God's presence, authority, dominion, and having eternal life. And all of that eternally. And to enter, you must believe. And that belief will transform you and make you born again. Without it, no one can see the kingdom. 
we have a similar description of our faith and conversion here. That our faith and conversion will be us becoming like children. Children, well, Jesus will continue and, and get really specific. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like a child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is calling us to a faith that's humble. And that's really important because our faith can never be, well, I'll join Jesus' side because I have a lot to offer Jesus. Jesus would be so lucky to have me on his team. All right, I'll do it. You know what? I'm already 95% there in this righteousness thing. Okay, I'll join your team because you can help me get the rest of the way there. This was pretty offensive for Jesus to say that they must become like a child. In, in the Greco-Roman first century world, it, it, was, it was shameful to be a child. There was work to be done. There was, there was fields to be plowed. There was mercantiles to be made. There was fish to be caught. And children couldn't offer much. So they were seen as a burden, helpless. They were needy. And Jesus is saying, you must become the same. That you must see yourself. And now, no, this doesn't mean you don't go to work and now you're going to wear diapers and now it's, you get snack time every couple of hours. But this does mean is you recognize. He says, humble yourself. You recognize I'm helpless. And I'm, I'm needy. And I need to be by my father. I need to be with daddy. Become like a child, he says. To become like a child is this metaphor for our conversion. Jesus invites us into a faith that's humble, knows that we're needy, that we're teachable, and that we're full of wonder and faith for who God is. That God is not our business. He's not our, our business partner. He's not just someone else that we are doing trade with, that I catch the fish, you give me money. We're not marketplace with God, but he's our father. That he's the one that must teach us. He's the one that must train us and guide us and lead us. And Jesus is talking about small children. This is at the point where they still think that daddy is Superman. That they still see him as the greatest thing. That so badly they want to be near him and around him. These small children also have, for the most part, a certain knack for obedience. That they, I think of, whenever I hear this passage, I think of Jax, our seven-year-old. I think it was last year during the carpool line. I'm going to confess now, I struggle with the carpool line. 
I'm not always in my sanctification when I am in the carpool line. I'm confessing right now. I will be forgiven and cleansed from all unrighteousness. But I'll have seven-year-old Jacks, Lord bless him, when I'm saying, come on, like, get over. Or there, there's a sign where you're, you're not supposed to park in a certain place so people can get out. I'm like, there's a sign, hello. And Jacks, childlike faith, will say, hey, Daddy, Jesus would want us to be patient. I'm like... <laughs> And then through gritted teeth, thank you, bud. You're right. But then the Lord uses it, and it does all flush away, because I'm like, he's absolutely right. And, and Jacks, in children, they don't have a lot of room for gray area. The older we get, the more we, this person, you know, they, they were disobedient. So I think I have a little a, a right to, maybe if I am alone with them in an alley, do what I want to. It's holy anger, right? Just like Jesus. But for children, it's Jesus wants us to be patient. So we're going to be patient. Daddy. Now, we, and we, we, are, we have a pretty good habit of devotions and praying at mealtime. Those are our, we need to reset on the Lord. We need to reset. We eat three, three times a day. Might as well let that be the one that we focus back on him. There are days where we are wiped out and we're ready to go to bed. Jax, hey, aren't we going to do devotions? Of course we are. Of course we are. What captures Jax's mind, well, he'll, he'll, he'll sit there and, th- and just say, Mommy, Daddy, you know what I'm thinking about? I can't wait to see Jesus. What if he came back today? I can't wait to be with him. I want that faith. Because I'm thinking about, is it Friday yet? Is is it time? Or we're going on vacation. Okay, only 12 days, 23 hours, and five minutes. But Jax is, what he's looking forward to is, I can't wait to see Jesus. And we played him the song I can only, only imagine with throwback cries because that's his heart for Jesus. Jesus is calling us to that kind of faith and humility. I just want to be by daddy. I just want to see Jesus. Jesus called me to be patient, so that's what we're going to do. Now, he did get in trouble this morning because he was playing with one of Nolan's toys. Emily told him, Please don't play with baby toys. And he rolled his eyes. But so do we. <laughs> but he is getting older. But there, as sweet as he still is, there was that, that small childhood love and faith and obedience that he has. There was a, a commentator named David Usick that said this also about childhood. He said, children are not threatening. We aren't afraid of meeting a five-year-old in a dark alley. When we have a tough, intimidating presence, we aren't like Jesus. The disciples asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? 
many Christians would say it's the one that's the toughest. It's the one that can be the, the loudest and the angriest and the one that can really put you in your place. Jesus says it's a child. We often think that power is, oh, I'm really going to ream them out. I'm going to be an overbearing boss at work. I'm going to tell my children, no crying, you know, boss my children around, be a man, grow up. And that child should look at you and say, be a child. There's no room for overbearing, lording it over people, intimidation style leadership in the kingdom of heaven. There's none, none, none. Jesus would tell his disciples, when you lead, because you will, don't lord it over them like the Gentiles do. But that's what we want. That's what power often does to people is it goes to our head. I am the company. I am the church. I am my department. I am the store. Whatever our dominion is, Jesus is calling you to be like a child. Now, as a child, I know that some children, they, would, they think that they could take down any enemy, but they're never intimidating. And they have the confidence because dad's there. Even now, as a grown man, if I need car things, which is a descriptor of how much I know. <laughs> car things. If I need those done, I'm, a, I'm scared <laughs> to go by myself to AutoZone. But when my dad's there, hmm, <laughs> they're not going to swindle me or pull the wool over my eyes because dad's there. Do you, do you, I, I just want you to take a minute and remember. Now, for those of you that had bad dads, I'm sorry. But the, for those of you that did have good daddies, you remember that moment? I think, I know I have one, where you are scared, but then dad shows up. Or you're, you're in trouble, or, you, or you're lost in the neighborhood. That was my circumstance. Lost in a neighborhood, after riding my bike, but then I see his car pull around the corner and all the fear is gone. So we can have boldness and confidence in the Christian life, but it's not because we're the overbearing, we're the strong ones, but it's because dad's here. And if dad's here, what do I have to be afraid of? Though Jax is loving and peace-loving, there are some times where there's some other kids that Jax would like me to beat up their daddies because they've been mean to him. Because dad's here, all the confidence in the world. But you aren't the one that's going to be violent and vengeful and angry. Vengeance is his, declares the Lord. This is his kingdom. That is greatness in his kingdom. To be a child, to be like a child. Now, Jesus will continue this metaphor. In, in verse 6, he says, Whoever causes 
one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away. This is an important note. This will be absolutely true about any child, causing any child to fall away, messing with a child. God doesn't like that. None of us should like that or put up with that, someone harming or messing with a child. But here specifically, Jesus is talking about th those little ones or any who believe. The, one, the little ones that believe. So that means you. If you believe in Jesus, you are now, whether you're 79 or older or younger, you're one of his little ones. Now, being one of his little ones means that Jesus is dead serious about you. And Jesus would do anything to protect you. Do you know that? Some of you didn't imagine with us because you had dads that did not protect you. And dads that instead of protecting you, harmed you. And from the bottom of my heart, I am so sorry. But this one, he loves you and you are his little one. So if you've believed. Way too young. But you are a little one to him if you've believed. And he will protect you. And he is dead serious about anyone messing with his children. So he says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, this is the Greek word for tripping up or stumbling. So as you're on this journey, we continue this metaphor of journey to cause someone to trip up on their walk with Jesus or to trip up on their walk with the Lord, or walk in their sanctification. Whoever causes someone to trip up, and that could mean causing someone to question Jesus, enticing someone to sin, causing someone to have distaste for other people. Like maybe you're, you're the gossiper, or maybe you're the complainer, or maybe you're the, the, you're the doubter. I mean, there's, there's some healthy doubt in Christianity, but you're sowing th seeds and and trying to convince them that maybe Jesus doesn't have authority, maybe Jesus isn't always right all the time, or you're convincing them, maybe, hey, your sin actually isn't sin, it's fine, let's do it together. Anybody like that, causing them to trip up in their walk with Jesus, which is also this same word is used in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, where Paul says that don't let your freedom cause someone else to stumble. It's the word scandalizo, scandalize. Don't cause the, someone else to trip up in their walk. Someone else has something against their conscience. Don't force them to do it. Or don't do something that would make them fall into sin. Even if it's not against your conscience. This is what Jesus says. If anyone does that, trips someone else up in their walk with Jesus... It would be better if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Tell us how you really feel, Jesus. What happened to the like peace and love, blessed are the peacemakers? Now, Jesus says, if anyone messes with my kids, it'd be better for them if they were thrown into the depths of the sea with a millstone around their neck. So let me get my hands on them. It'd be better for them. Th this millstone would be this about 3,000 pound stone 
that if we had our donkey, if we were grinding the grain, the donkey would plod along. Is that a pretty good donkey? (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. The donkey would plod along and spin the millstone, and it would grind the grain so that we could have flour. Very important for Jewish life and customs. It's a big stone. Jesus is saying it would be better for anyone who causes one of my children to trip up in their faith if that was tied around their neck. So we're not talking about a life jacket. We're talking about a weight. And they were tossed into the depths of the sea. Not the kiddie pool. The depths of the sea. There's no swimming up. Not even Michael Phelps could get out of that. They'd be better for them. And now, this, isn't, this is, of course, not a commandment that we're going to start practicing. This is hyperbole. Because if this were true, that this is something we should start practicing, all of us here would be in the sea. But make no mistake that Jesus is dead serious. Dead serious about causing someone else to trip up in their faith. It's that crucial to him. Don't mess with Jesus' kids. Jesus continues. Woe to the world because of offenses. This is verse 7. For offenses will inevitably come, but woe to the person by who offenses come. Jesus is saying, it's going to happen in this world. Sin and causing someone else to trip up, it's going to happen, but do not let it be you. Never let it be you. So we have Jesus calling us to be like children, We have Jesus warning us against ever tripping someone else up in their faith. And finally, Jesus will end with don't trip yourself up in your faith. Verse 8 says, If your hand or your foot causes you to fall away, to trip up in your faith, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or lame than to have two hands and two feet and thrown into eternal fire. If your eye causes you to fall away, gouge it out, throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hellfire. Church, also hyperbole. So we're not going to form a line. We're not going to bring out the saw. Because if this were to be taken literally, we would all be amputees or liars. Jesus is also dead serious. If there's anything in your life that trips up your faith in Jesus, it's got to go. Anything in your life that trips up your walk with Jesus, it's got to go. And Jesus knows going to be painful. It's going to hurt, but it's going to co- there's going to be a lot less damage as if you didn't. If you let things in your life that trip you up in your walk with Jesus fester, so much more damage will be done than if you 
cut them out. I, I have a, oh, there was a kid I, I was counselor for when I was, between my junior and senior year of Bible, there was this traveling camp counselor. Great time. It was awesome. I loved it. There was this little kid named Landon, who since then has become this big guy who is this gym rat, like on his Instagram, full of his workouts and what he does, a jacked man. Could probably almost kind of lift the millstone, like at least a corner of it. He's, he, he's a, this very strong man. Well, Landon found out that he had bone cancer in his leg. And he had to have his leg amputated. But Landon knew to leave that leg would mean death for him. It means that it would spread and corrupt the rest of his body. So he knew he had to cut it off. For us, we have to be able to recognize there are things in our life that are cancerous, that are disease, and they've got to go. We might love them. We might like them, but they have to go. Just thinking about a couple, one of them, this is one I think the most hardest one, so we'll start here. Bad news first. One of them could be friends or relationships that we have. I have a friend named Joe, Joe Reed. He's visited here once. He wrote a book called Broken Like Me. It's a book about mental health. And in this book, he has this system, this tiered system of friendship. So there's level one means you have all my trust and confidence. I want to see you the most. I want to give you the most of my heart and self. You get to see all of my heart. And there's level two and level three. And you get less and less of me, less and less of my attention, less and less of my confidence, my inner self. There are some people that this doesn't feel nice. This doesn't feel Christian. They do not belong in your tier one. They should not be there. Emily and I have tried to filter through that we know there are people that they are not going to help us love Jesus more. They're not going to help us love each other more, love our kid more, or love others more. So they can't be level one. We love them. We want to share the gospel with them. We want to pray for them. But they don't get to have that spot of being our confidence, being the ones that we share our soul and, and talk to the same. Does that make sense? That there's even family members where you might have to cut out some painful boundaries because you're still going to love them and honor them and support them and share Jesus with them, but there's certain places they do not get to have in your life. There are substances. There may be things, substances in your home that are clouding your mind or drawing you away from Jesus. There may be foods that you know that if I have that one food, it's going to spiral me into eating all of this food. There, we have a, a friend that one drink of alcohol will, will draw her back into alcoholism. And so that's one. Forgive me, let me say Jesus did drink wine. I'm not fired yet. Good, not yet. No, 
that totally respect anyone who will say, I'm adult enough to know that one is too much for me. And it will draw me in to places I don't want to go. And so though we are childlike, just know that making these kind of decisions are not childish. It's the most mature adult thing that you could do. To say there, there, are, certain, there are certain places I'm not going to go. There's, there's a bar. There, there's a place where people I know hang out. There's you know, my, uh, a route past my old drug dealer's house. There, what, there, there are places I'm not going to go. There are things I'm not going to have in my house. There are movies I'm not going to watch. There are websites that need to be blocked. There are people that need to know what I'm doing on my phone and on my laptop. We're cutting things out. It's painful and it hurts. But we are mature enough to say it's not good. Because if that stays, that disease will take over and it will spread. So we got to Cut it out. I got to invite people in to be accountability for me. I, I, had a, a, I was an RA our senior year of college, and I had a guy in my group, because an RA was over 10 different guys. He had a smartphone that he literally took a hammer and smashed. Some jeered at him because they're like, couldn't you have sold it? Couldn't you have done something else? But he needed, for his own heart, he needed to show his flesh, I'm serious. I'm done. He was able to get around the blockers of our school and watch lots of pornography at Bible college. You think Bible college kids don't do it? But that Bible college kid said, no. I won't even have my smartphone. And he has all my respect. And now he has got married to another RA, and they have an incredible marriage. Because he took that stand to say, this is not good. Anybody else might think, well, a lot of us, we act like a smartphone is part of our body. Maybe it's, maybe it's not pornography, but maybe it is. You can't help but argue on Facebook. It's got to go. Maybe you can't help but, as you're scrolling through Instagram, oh, I want that life, I want that body, I want that trip to the Maldives. If it's drawing discontentment out of your heart, it's got to go. Though sexual immorality is huge, don't also ignore discontentment. If it's doing greed, contempt, hostility, if it's doing that in your heart, it's got to go. Anything that takes your eyes off Jesus, it's got to go. And it's hard and it's painful. Jesus knows that. He's not saying, hey, cut off your hand, gouge out your eye. This is going to be a happy, happy, fun time. He knows, oh, it's going to hurt you. I know. But I love you. And I'll be there with, I'll hold your hand through it. The one that wasn't cut off. Seriously, so sorry. <laughs> Forgive me, Lord. <laughs> but he will be there with you, and he will heal you. But it's got to go. It's got to go. We need to decide. 
whether certain websites, substances, routes, people, places, or things, all of the nouns, if there's anything that's tripping you up in your walk with Jesus. Now, caveat, church, your spouse, your children, not options, right? Like if Jesus commands you to be there, you gotta, like those, we, we don't say, well, Stephen said that my kids, my kids are frustrating me, so out you go. We don't get to do that. But take a serious look. Is there anything that's tripping me up in my walk, in this, in my, in my Via Dolorosa with Jesus? And if so, it's got to go. I will cut it out, whatever means necessary. But I know that I don't have to be afraid because dad's there. And he'll be there with me and he'll get me through it. And when I fail and falter and try to take what's been cut out and put it back, he will forgive me and he'll give me the strength, cut it out again. Though it returns, he will be there with me to cut it. Take time, evaluate. Am I tripping anybody else up? Please consider. I got an email a couple days ago by a dear friend asking me and a couple of other guys if there are any blind spots in his life. Reach out to people. That was one of the wisest, most humble things I've ever seen. Because usually people don't care about their blind spots. Ask people, is there anything that you see in me that would trip someone else out in their walk with Jesus? And if there was, ask for forgiveness. Seek reconciliation. Your Father would forgive you. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love and your grace for us. Lord, we have no reason to be afraid. Though pain may come and sorrow may come and difficulty may come, no reason to be afraid because Dad's here and our, and our Jesus is here and he's walked this path ahead of us. And Jesus, you now not only walk next to us and in front of us, but in us by your spirit and you're giving us power to overcome. We praise you. In Jesus' name, we all pray. Amen.